we turn now to the Bible to hear from God today. And his word comes to us from Psalm 130. This is a psalm of ascent, uh, meaning that it was part of the songbook or the poem book that pilgrims would use and recite or sing as they made their way from their homes up to Jerusalem for feasts and festivals. So you have to think of people on the road, on a journey, going up to the temple to, to praise or to be with God. And uh, I've been memorizing these psalms this summer, and so I've memorized this one as well. Uh, hear the word of the Lord for you today. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cries for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. Feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This psalm is a cry from the heart. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. The depths. Have you ever been in the depths? You won't find the depths on a tour of the Middle East, of course. It's not a physical location. Rather, the depths are an image to describe that awful feeling we have when we are existentially adrift or lost or depressed or stuck. Sometimes it can be hard to describe the feeling we find ourselves experiencing it. It feels like I'm living in a dark cloud, we say, or it, it feels like I'm drowning in a vast ocean and there's, there's no land in sight. This is the depths. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. I wonder what has happened to this poor psalmist. How did this Israelite pilgrim wind up in this terrible place? We're not really totally sure, as the psalm is a, a general cry for help. But we do get a little information in verse 3. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord... Who could stand? So there's there's the clue. This is why the psalmist is crying out for mercy. It's, it's sin that has him sinking. He's weighed down by his own guilt. He's feeling that terrible feeling we call shame. Perhaps he has tried to get his gambling addiction under control for the tenth time, but now, again, his bank account is empty and his marriage is on the rocks. Or perhaps she's let loose some juicy gossip about a friend and now that the word is out, she can't contain the story and she's ruined one of her best relationships. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? You know, in the Hebrew Bible, the in the Hebrew, we get a few different words and images to, to help us make sense of this thing we call sin. 
Three words pull out the meaning, and they're often used interchangeably. There's sin, there's transgression, and there's iniquity. King David uses all three of these words all together in Psalm 51 when he says, and he prays, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. The Hebrew word translated sin has its origins in archery. To sin means to to miss the mark. In other words, God has set up a target for human behavior. Jesus said, love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the bullseye. So when the arrow that is your life misses the target, that's, that's sin, missing the mark. Transgression is similar, but has a different nuance. Instead of being about the bullseye, it's about the boundary markers. Think of the Ten Commandments as a fence which forms a perimeter. God says, do not covet, do not commit adultery. These are boundary lines meant to contain our behavior. And these were boundary lines that King David himself transgressed when he saw Bathsheba and decided to make her his own. And finally, there's iniquity. And this word suggests that something straight has become crooked. It's impossible to hit a target if your bow is bent and your arrow is crooked. You can't stop at the fence or the stop sign if your brakes are malfunctioning. King David committed adultery and murdered Bathsheba's husband Uriah. He had become the kind of person that was capable of abusing his power. His heart was no longer whole. It was crooked. That's iniquity. The word translated sin sin in Psalm 130 is actually the word for iniquity. Oh Lord, if you kept an eye on our crookedness, if you took detailed stock of the real desires of our heart, oh Lord, who could stand? So it's likely that this poor pilgrim is in the depths not just because they have committed a a few isolated wrongs against God or neighbor. The, The situation is worse. The pilgrim is mourning his utter brokenness. He's tired of the person that he has become. You might say that he's ashamed of himself. Guilt. Guilt is the experience we have when we know that we've missed the mark or crossed the boundary. Shame is the feeling we have when we realize that we are the kind of people that miss the mark and cross boundaries. And it's a humbling and horrible thing, really, to come face to face with one's own corruption. It it feels like the depths. A while back, I became friends with a, another young father, and we got together on Saturday mornings with our kids and, and other fathers and their kids. One day, he shared his struggles with me. He just always felt like he couldn't get on top of life. Always felt like he had no discipline. I just can't keep my hand out of the cookie jar, he told me. And he has a short fuse too, he said. I just, I get so angry so quickly. And to top it all off, he was on the cusp of his 40th birthday. And he thought for sure but by this, that by this time in his life, he'd have things under control. I listened thinking that this was mostly just tired dad banter. But then I looked over and I saw his face. He was just so distraught. In the depths, 
What do you do? Where do you go when you wake up to realize that you're stuck and can't see your own way out? In such situations, most of us unfortunately reach for quick fixes like chocolate chip cookies or alcohol. Or we distract ourselves with social media or comedy specials or anything which takes the focus off ourselves. But these things rarely provide lasting relief. Eventually, the buzz wears off and the depths return. Another counterproductive thing we all reliably do, or generally reliably do, when weighed down with guilt and shame is is to hide. We learn this response from our first parents, Adam and Eve, who hid from God after sneaking some forbidden fruit. And I can understand this impulse. Shame makes us want to hide. It makes us feel unlovable. And we worry that if people saw who we really were, if they saw the real us, then they'd turn and run, or worse, they'd stop and stare and make fun of us. So we try to keep all this under wraps. But like with food and alcohol, hiding doesn't do anything to get us out of the depths. In fact, it too deepens the problem. First of all, it's exhausting to hide all the time. And secondly, none of us can do it perfectly. Hiding your true self is a little like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. Eventually, something knocks you off your footing and the truth comes bubbling up out of the depths. Being seen for who you really are, it makes us feel naked. feels like death. But on the flip side, after the shock of being discovered, isn't it a relief to not be holding that beach ball underwater anymore? Shame makes us want to hide, but it turns out the best antidote to shame is actually vulnerability, coming out into the light, allowing yourself to be seen. For when we open ourselves up to being seen, we also open ourselves up to being known and loved, forgiven, and redeemed. If you, O Lord, kept an eye on our crookedness, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. Though internally this pilgrim is in the depths, externally he's exactly where he needs to be. Instead of hiding out in his room, he's, he's on a pilgrimage. He's taking his guilt and his shame to the temple to meet with the God who forgives. He knows he's made a mess of things. He mourns that. But he also knows that where the Lord is, there there is unfailing love. And that where the Lord is, there is the possibility of full redemption. And so, like a tired watchman waiting for the morning, the psalmist is walking towards Jerusalem, waiting to hear the Lord's reassuring words. I wonder what festival this pilgrim was going to celebrate. Maybe it was the Passover. If so, he would have had a chance to remember the, the lamb that was slain, the blood put on the doorstep, a doorpost, to cover over Israel's sin. Or perhaps he was going to celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the, was the high point in Israel's yearly calendar. God instituted this festival to deal with Israel's sin and rebelliousness. And the climax of this festival was the moment when the priest laid his hands on a goat and prayed a communal prayer of confession over the goat. It was a visible sign and symbol for the people gathered to watch that all their missing the mark 
All their boundary crossing and iniquity was transferred from them onto the goat. And when, it was, when the prayer was finished, the goat was chased out of the temple and into the wilderness, and the people would cheer and praise God for his unfailing love and redemption. The whole ordeal, this day of atonement, was meant to communicate the reality that Psalm 103 articulates so beautifully. It was all meant to communicate the words of this psalm, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So though this psalmist's sins are too heavy to carry and too real to hide and too deep to undo, he knows that with the Lord there is unfailing love. And so though weighed down, he walks on. He's going to the temple to come out into the light, to confess and to hear the Lord's words of assurance. Dear son, your sins are forgiven. Peace be upon you. God's passion to redeem is found all throughout the Bible. In Genesis, the Lord God went out to find Adam and Eve while they were hiding in their shame. Where are you? He called out to them. Then he sewed the man and the woman some clothes to cover over their nakedness. And he made them a promise that one day a son of Eve would crush the serpent's head. And of course, we all know that the Lord is not to be messed with and that his boundaries are not wishy-washy or insignificant things. And yet, what is more true is this, is, is that at base level, the Lord is not out to get us. His goal is not to increase our guilt and shame, when, when the light of his truth shines upon us, it's not to expose us, but to burn away that is corrupting us. His goal is, is, is to take these things away, and he never turns his face away from a contrite heart. We see this of the Lord in all, all throughout the Old Testament, but we see his passion to forgive and redeem most clearly in, of course, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus descended into the depths and befriended people who were stuck in shame, like lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors like Levi and Zacchaeus, lost souls who are ostracized and shunned. I think of the woman who cried over Jesus' feet and washed them with her tears, anointed them with oil. The religious leaders scoffed at her and said, Jesus, if you knew who was doing this, you would not let her. She is a sinner. But Jesus wouldn't heap any more shame on this poor woman. Instead, he lifted up her face and said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Jesus was crucified during the Passover festival. And as the blood of the lambs was being spilled in the streets of Jerusalem, the blood of God's precious Son was being shed on the cross. All the sins, the transgressions, the iniquity of the world, mine and yours included, were transferred to him and he was chased out of the city by the crowds with a cross on his back. 
like the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. All this is meant to communicate to us that in the name of Jesus there is freedom and relief from shame. Over the last number of years, probably a, about a seven-year stretch, uh, Brittany and I got to be with and minister to someone who had a long journey out of the depths. And we didn't really know what we were doing, but we got down in there with her and held the space, held on to her as she came out into the light and just consistently shared with her the good news of the gospel. And as this person came out into the light, the light of God's forgiveness and grace just began to burn away these layers, burn through the tough stuff, the shame, the guilt. And God started to re-narrate, give this woman a new identity, not as one who needs to hide, but as one who can belong to a community, not a sinner, but a saint, not clothed in shame, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ. She became a child of God. That became her identity. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, the psalmist says, speaking to anyone who will hear, I'm sure, on this road. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I wonder how God wants to work his grace and forgiveness, his redemption out in your life. Maybe that journey can even start right here now and today. Did you know that he came down into the depths, went down into the depths of hell itself to, to rescue us and to bring us back up? He sees you. He knows you. And he loves you. Open yourself up to the light of his truth. Allow him to burn through the shame and forgive the guilt. To give you a new name, a new identity as the beloved. Let yourself be loved by him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there is so much we carry with us on this road, this journey of life. Sometimes our bag is light and we feel free. And other times we're loaded down by these things that we have done that we cannot undo and they make us feel awful. Lord, where there is shame and guilt here in this congregation, I ask that you gently touch and lift out and come to be with that person or that family to minister your unfailing love and your forgiveness. And help us all, Lord, to be a community of travelers who do not shun or turn away but 
turn towards people in love to embrace and to walk beside and to help. Help us all to learn how to grow in vulnerability, Lord, so that we can grow in you and be known and loved by you and the people around us more deeply. We long to be free, so continue to work in us, Lord, by your Spirit, to bring into our lives the freedom of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.